Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Okay, guys, uh, this semester we're studying the Sermon on the Mount in a series I'm calling Living Upside Down. And the Sermon on the Mount, if you're unfamiliar with it, is Jesus' most famous sermon. It's his most famous teaching. Uh, It has content that we think he probably repeated as he traveled around uh, teaching the people. And I'm really excited to be studying it because this is really the place to go if you want to explore, well, what did Jesus actually teach? Uh, What was he all about? Something that people wonder about even today. And so today today we're going to just look at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount uh, in a section called the Beatitudes. And we're going to look at just the first few verses, uh, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 6. Uh, Let me read them for us. This is God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What is Christianity all about? I think you could answer that question lots of different ways, and they would be right. Uh, Lots of different things that Christianity is about. The gospel, it's about grace, it's about Jesus. But if you were to ask Jesus that question, he would say, it's about the kingdom. Uh, in this text that we read, the first thing out of Jesus's mouth is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's this way of saying at the onset of this masterful sermon, this is all about the kingdom. Uh, I want you to think about that idea of the kingdom. Christianity is first and foremost about a good king that comes from heaven to reclaim his good kingdom on earth, which has been turned upside down by sin and by evil. Uh, And he comes to restore it to its full glory and goodness. I wonder if you've paused to consider that we live in a world that's been turned upside down by sin and evil. Have you stopped to consider the upside downness of our world? Uh, A while ago, there was this commercial that was popular uh, for Febreze, you know, the company that, uh, the spray that you spray and uh, it supposedly makes your stuff smell better. And the tagline for the commercial that was on TV a lot was, uh, eliminate odors that you've gone nose blind to. 
I can remember when I first saw that, I had never heard that phrase, uh, you've gone nose blind before, but you instantly know what it means. Uh, it's that sensation, that experience you have when you realize that you've gotten used to a smell around you or when you go to someone else's home or room and realize that they've got a smell <laughs> that they maybe don't even know about. And it's a little gross because we all have that. Uh, but the idea is that you can get used to something around you, even if it's totally off. The biggest danger we can find ourselves in is to get used to the brokenness of our world. To say, ah, oh, that's just, you know, that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, pandemics happen every hundred years or so, or, you know, sometimes people mistreat people, or sometimes people commit suicide, or, you know, unemployment happens or sexual assault happens and these things happen in life. And we can either accept that, these horrible realities and say, oh, that's just, life's like that sometimes. Or we can grieve the upside downness of our world and begin to live in a different reality. So I wanna ask you, do you know that the world we live in is upside down? Now, what's God's solution? Uh, his solution is to enter the upside down world that he made, and it's been turned upside down, to enter it himself. And when he opens his mouth, what does he say? He says he teaches the Sermon on the Mount, this most famous teaching of Jesus. And if you really listen to what he's saying, uh, you'll find that it's the most countercultural, upside-down teaching that there is. In fact, at every point, it challenges the way our world typically operates, and it won't make any sense unless you start out with the premise that we live in a world that's upside-down, uh, a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. And if our world is upside-down, then any true word from the outside is going to seem upside-down here. Uh, any true and good way of life will challenge our notion of what a true and good way of life is. And what we'll be looking at this week and next week is just this beginning portion of the Sermon on the Mount that is usually called the Beatitudes because it starts with each verse starts, blessed are, and the Latin word for blessed is beatus. And so uh, it starts with these nine blessings and they're kind of like the preamble to Jesus's constitution. Uh, before he gets into how we're supposed to live and what life is meant to be like and all these uh, elements of his teaching, he starts with what we are meant to be like. And amazingly, uh, before he says anything about how to live, he blesses. And the people he blesses are astonishing. Uh, the, the, the Beatitudes tell us, what people in God's kingdom are like. Uh, they're not a to-do list because you can't really do like poor in spirit or you can't do meek. They're not really things you do, but the Beatitudes are utterly practical because they provide this clear framework for what the Christian life is like. Uh, so if you're watching and you're not a Christian, first of all, I'm so glad, uh, but uh, this is who Jesus is inviting you to become. And if you're watching this and you are a Christian, uh, these are the qualities of a transformed heart that should be on display more and more in your life as you walk with this king. Uh, and they're amazing. They're like unlike any other notion 
of what it means to be blessed. And so let's look at them one by one. The first one is blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? You can break it down easily, right? Poor, uh, lacking, poor in spirit. Uh, it means at your core. It means you're spiritually bankrupt. It means you're helpless unless God helps you. Uh, a while back, several summers ago, uh, I got into lifting weights at the Yukon Rec Center uh, a good bit uh, in the summertime when it's really easy and it's not crowded in there. And I got into lifting weights a little, not something I typically do, as you might be able to tell. And one day I was feeling good, getting in shape, feeling stronger, and I decided to push myself a little bit. And I did something which you should never do, which is try to push yourself while doing the bench press without a spotter. You know the bench press where you're on your back and you're pushing the weight up. And so I did that and I'm going for it, I'm feeling good. And I just keep going and lifting too much weight. And what happens is that I start to run out of strength. And I eventually fully run out of strength to the point where I'm exerting all my force upward. And the bar is coming downward. And I can't stop it until I don't know what to do. And so it comes to rest eventually like right here on my temple. And I'm just stuck. Can't do anything until uh, a kind college student came by and lifted it up for me. Okay, I want you to think about that image. Uh, people that are poor in spirit feel that way about getting anything right. Uh, people that are poor in spirit come to the point where they say, you know, I don't have what it takes to get anything truly right. And amazingly, Jesus opens his mouth to teach about God's kingdom, and he addresses these kinds of people, and he says, God's blessings are for you. Now, this is so different than the way our world operates, right? We want Jesus to say, blessed are those who figure it out, or blessed are those who get their act together. But what's even more astonishing is that poor in spirit is meant to be a characteristic of all Christians, not just the new ones. It means that the more you grow in maturity, the more dependent you'll be on Jesus. It means that you'll come to realize your spiritual poverty more as you grow. Now, how do you know if you're poor in spirit? Uh, there's a simple litmus test, which is, do you pray? Uh, there's a lot we could say about prayer and why it's difficult, but I promise you, if you really believe that you were dependent on God, you would pray. Uh, I'm someone who struggles to pray. And the reason is because I go through these cycles where I feel desperate and I pray a lot and then my circumstances change and I start to, on some level, take credit for that change and, and I don't feel like I need God as much and then I stop praying uh, because I have no more use for it, I think. Um, another litmus test for uh, poor in spirit is how do you react to failure or criticism? Uh, can you accept it or does it eat you up inside and make you lash out? Uh, another litmus test, are you a critical person? Uh, how does your heart feel toward people that are struggling or failing? It's interesting that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven because to be poor in spirit means that you know you need a king. 
You need someone to direct your life because when you try it on your own, it ends in disaster. So I want to ask you, are you worn out? Are you tired? Have you tried and failed to get your life on track over and over again? Uh, the good news is that there is a good king. Uh, his name is Jesus, and you don't work your way into his good graces. Uh, his kingdom is for the poor in spirit. Uh, there's a place in the kingdom, in other words, for those who desperately want in. So that's the poor in spirit. But then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I hope you'll see that there's this logical order to the Beatitudes, uh, because the first has to do with our spiritual bankruptcy, but the second one has to do with why we're spiritually bankrupt. And now what kind of mourning is Jesus talking about? Uh, we've already acknowledged that uh, there's plenty worth mourning about in this life. I mean, just turn on the news at any point and you'll find plenty. Uh, but there's a deeper mourning that defines disciples of Jesus. Uh, he's talking about coming to the point where you realize you can't get anything right. And then going one step further to the point where you realize the problem is you. It's not just that I'm this person in desperate need of God, but my problem is that I actively resist him and contribute to the brokenness of our world. Uh, there was an early 20th century thinker and author, a Christian named G.K. Chesterton, and there's a story, uh, a newspaper asked him to contribute uh, to a piece where they were getting all kinds of different thinkers to answer the question of what's wrong with the world. And so they asked him to write in. And so he, in response, he wrote this letter. He wrote, Dear Sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. He gets it, right? Jesus is talking about the kind of people that see everything wrong in the world and mourn, but then they turn their gaze inward and they see the roots of everything bad out there in here. And something you'll find as you walk with Jesus is that you'll start to see layers and layers of selfishness and greed and other sin that you didn't see before. Uh, sometimes uh, I, like to, I love meeting with students. It's one of my favorite parts of this work that I do. And over the years, on many occasions, I've had students come to me after a moral failure and uh, they don't know what to do with it. You know, they, they thought they would never go back to this sin before. They didn't think they were capable of this. And they're asking this question, well, how, could I really be a Christian if I did that? Or if I think this? And what I always am quick to point out is that it's good that you notice your sin. Like the fact that you notice it, the fact that it bothers you is actually a sign that God's at work in your heart. And the beauty of Jesus is that he invites us in before we have all our sin and brokenness figured out, uh, before we kind of turn our life around. And I just want to acknowledge that this process is not fun. Uh, you know, it's kind of like picking up a, ever, ever picked up a rock like in your yard and you turn it over and underneath there's all these like grubs and slugs and gross insects under there. Uh, it's kind of like that. You know, I don't want to peel back the layers and see what's inside myself. But 
the truth we have to acknowledge is that there's no comfort for people who think that the problem is just out there. But there is comfort from the God of the universe for those who are willing to say, wow, I really am the problem. For those people, Jesus says, God's blessings are for you. So that's those who mourn. But then he says, blessed are the meek. And I want you to just think about that word meek for a bit. Uh, it's not a word we use a lot anymore. And I think we associate it with kind of being small or being weak. And it's definitely not anything that anyone values, right? Like no one ever says like, man, that guy is the best. He's so meek. Or like, I'm looking to date someone who's like really meek. Uh, we don't say that. And we associate the word, I think, with like being humble or being gentle. And that's kind of right. But what you need to see is that it's a humbleness and a gentleness that comes from a place of strength. Uh, the word meek in this text that we read that was originally written in Greek is the Greek word praus. And it's this word that has to do with a tamed wild animal. It's this harnessed strength. And the strength comes from collapsing in our poverty. Uh, when we realize uh, we're the problem. The problem is in here. It's my own heart. But then we lift up our heads to find that the God of the universe has not cast us out. Instead, he's opened his arms to us. And guess what? His, arm, his, his hands have holes in them. He's taken care of our shame and our sin. He's taken it on himself. And if that's the experience you've had, then you will become meek. Uh, the only way you can be truly meek is if you're poor in spirit and then you mourn your sin and then you have this experience of being accepted anyway. Uh, think about my experience in the weight room uh, when I lost all my strength. Uh, think, you know, even if I were to like get really strong and go to the weight room all the time, and uh, do you think I could ever stop and look at someone who was struggling and laugh at them? No way, right? You couldn't do that because I know my own story, right? But if I'm meek, I've got nothing to prove. And so to that person, I can say, hey, are you struggling? I've been there. I am there still. Uh, meekness is a strength that feels no need to prop itself up. Uh, it's needing no one else's approval because I have the approval of the king. Think about what a community of meek people would be like. How do you know if you're meek? Uh, meek people can laugh at themselves. Uh, meek people look around them and they make other people around them feel big and loved. Uh, meek people notice people that no one else notices. Uh, so do you see how meekness is actually strength? So that's meekness. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And this is really the hinge. Uh, we're going to look at more Beatitudes next time, but this is the hinge. This is where we move from diagnosis to healing and fullness. Uh, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to receive the truth about our world and receive the truth about our own hearts and the upside downness of it all and to continually seek out healing. And it's not fun. 
you know, we need to be careful about over-spiritualizing these beatitudes and coming to the point where we're saying, oh, I'm feeling so sad and, uh, you know, I, I see so much of my sin right now and it's just so great, right? Uh, the point of these Beatitudes is that they're not desirable on the surface. You know, poverty in spirit doesn't feel good. Mourning doesn't feel good. Hunger and thirst don't feel good. But each of these Beatitudes promises fullness. I have a good friend uh, who's quite a bit older than me. And a while back, we were together and he said, Hey man, like, listen, you got to pray for me. I had a doctor's appointment recently and... Uh, he said they found something and uh, it could be cancer and just be praying for me. And so I did. And it turned out that my friend Russ did have cancer and he had a bad kind of cancer, which meant he immediately started chemotherapy, you know, just doing everything possible to take care of his body and heal it. And I had the experience of watching my friend kind of day to day, I, weeks would go by where I didn't see him and then I would see him and he was just this like, because of the chemotherapy, just a shell of who he once was as he was treated for cancer. And the amazing thing about treating cancer, if you think about it, is that you voluntarily inflict pain and sickness on yourself in order to kill the sickness. You know, prior, prior on that day when he told me uh, to pray for him, he was feeling fine, but he was dying inside. And so he underwent the long and painful process of being healed. Now, to be a Christian, to be a disciple of Christ, is to forego the illusion of health and to find it in Jesus instead. Because that's an upside, day, uh, upside down way of living in our world it's going to be painful. But Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Uh, where will that satisfaction come from? It comes from the king. The person of Jesus himself. Jesus is an upside down king who shows us that God's way different than we thought. Uh, when the king comes to earth, Instead of demanding that everyone bow, he invites a crowd of peasants to come hear about his upside-down kingdom, to welcome them in. He invites them to be transformed by the grace of a God who's so high, he is so holy, but he welcomes the low and the downcast. He's an upside-down king. He establishes his rule by dying for people who don't have it together, for people who don't have everything within themselves. That's the only news that will satisfy. That's the only thing that will truly set you free. And I just want to close by asking you, do you have anything like that? Is there anything in life giving you that? And if not, I want to invite you to invest in this community, RUF, this year. And we're going to be living out this vision together. Heavenly Father, help us and make it so. Amen.